Hello, everyone. Casual Talk Radio, Gentlemen's World. I want to welcome everybody on this wonderful Memorial Day. Hopefully you are doing something that's not work, but I know some might be doing things that are work-related, and I apologize. Of course, the Memorial Day is the day that we express our appreciation for those that serve in the line of duty and those that lost their lives in that same line of duty. Let me go ahead and get the particulars out of the way, and I'm going to be talking about a topic that's kind of been spinning around. I held off on it purposely. Want to let the dust settle? Seems like it's the right time. Real fast, casualtalkradio.net is the site. Check it out when you get an opportunity. We have revamped it. The new version of the site is 10 times better than the previous. We'd like to hear any comments, questions, suggestions, or feedback you may have. There is a contact form where you can reach us and let us know how we're doing as a podcast and just as a public service announcement. We are scheduled to restart our guest screener process sometime either the first week or second week of June. We had some events, and this ties to our next set of news, but we will uh, get into that as I go down the road here. So casualtalkradio.net, check us out. Let us know what we're, how we're doing and whether you like what we're doing, and we will be increasingly changing the site. There's going to be more stuff uploaded, and then our tribe membership information will be added at some point in the near future. So our internal news, and this goes around our endeavor as well as the guest cadence and the reschedule of the screener. The endeavor continues. It's a roller coaster ride is the best way I can describe it. We continue to work with the client just to level set our whole vision is that we do the most amount of work with the least amount of time investment because we know we can. We have the skills over time that have allowed us to perfect a craft and we like your plumber, you wouldn't tell your plumber what wrench to use. You wouldn't tell the window maker what window panels to use or what glazing to use. These are respect of people's craft. And I believe that we have lost that tendency to respect craft. And I've tried to level set with the client to say, this is my craft. I know what I'm doing. Let me do my job. Even though it's not what you're used to, that's the beauty of us being different people. So I've been working with them and I've been given assurances on a couple of sides that things will get better. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen up front. The other issue I ran into, and it ties to the CTR brand and the relocation plan that's been delayed ever slightly. And I may have to stay here another month because as I did research on finding the new place, it turns out that for whatever reason, and I have not figured out why the inventory, the availability of places is heavily constrained. People are increasingly renting out here to the point that you're not able to find a place that's ready to move in for at least a month or two. So most of them are out to like July or August. This is unusual. I have moved multiple times into different rental situations and I've always been able to find immediate availability almost everywhere I went. More people are signing long-term leases. Less people are buying houses, apparently. It's, it's a strange powder cake type situation that I did not expect. And as a result, tomorrow I have to have the conversation with my client, let them know that they have, the plan was to go out there in June. That's probably not going to happen due to no control. I have no control over what they're doing. So this means that the CTR, the podcast, everything is as I can currently forecast it will not be moving in the month of June and it'll be at minimum July 
which is a little bit frustrating because Nevada is getting worse before it gets any better. I know that people like Adam Laxalt and others are trying to fix some of the underlying issues. I don't think that they're going to be able to do it. I think it's too far gone. And as long as you have Sislak as governor, I don't think anything that they do is going to make a dent. So I am still committed to leaving, just to be clear. It's just taking the time to figure out what that means and when I can actually pull the trigger. So that's up in the air. Does not affect the podcast recording any. And I committed that I was still going to record even though it's Memorial Day because it doesn't take that long. And the topic that I chose, I wanted to go ahead and get it out of the way because I know there's some interest in people's thoughts. So with that, let's go ahead and jump right into what I'm referring to when I say this business of the topic in question.
recently. And when I say recently, I'm saying probably a couple of weeks ago at this point, I watched a video that's been circling social media. It was first posted, I want to say, to Rumble. And you may or may not have heard of it, and that's okay. If you have not, I will summarize best I can. I'm not going to bore with too much data because you can search this yourself. But this video is called 2,000 Mules. 2,000 Mules is, there is a gentleman that did a lot of research. He was aligned with the Trump administration at one point, and he did a lot of research around the 2020 election. And he was trying to do the best he could to add a little bit more credence to the theory that the 2020 election had problems that resulted in the Biden administration that we now are suffering under. And so he went through and apparently was doing filming and capturing data from different sources, collating it together and then presenting it to a forum of different people from you know, senators and candidates and all this to open up the narrative, the dialogue to say, what do you think of this? It was presented as a, here's what we're seeing. If you've heard of 2000 Mules and you've heard it referred to as a smoking gun, which was Larry Elder's words, I don't know that I can describe it the same as a smoking gun. What they essentially collected is a lot of circumstantial evidence So anybody who remembers, who's old enough to remember Scott Peterson, Scott Peterson, way back a long time ago in California, was basically arrested for killing his wife, Lacey Peterson, an unborn child. She was pregnant. And Scott Peterson is currently on death row. Scott Peterson was convicted without any hard evidence against him. They couldn't connect the dots perfectly. Everything was smoke. Everything was circumstantial. The the boat, the, the rope, his whereabouts, this other mistress who lied on him, and she was proven that she lied, and all of this other smoke was circling around him. They never could connect the dots. They never could say, what did you do? To the point that where Lacey Peterson's body washed up on a shore, and it had been dismembered partially, and they couldn't put him out there to at a time where he could have dumped it based on the decomposition of the body. Like, there was so much circumstantial around that conviction. They still locked him up because they said, there's just too much circumstantial, we got to go forward. And then the mistress's testimony was kind of the lock, even though she was proven to have lied. So he's sitting on death row. He maintains his innocence. He can't prove he's innocent for the same reason they couldn't prove he's guilty. It's a weird situation. That circumstantial court of public opinion type narrative is what's circling this 2,000 mules data. They go and they talk to this other person who has collected data and they go to the secret warehouse and they're turning off cell phones and all this. It's very tinfoil, but at the same time, when you look at the data they collected, there were a couple of points, and I'll call those out from a technologist's point of view only. The first was that cell phones. So they tracked people's cell phones that went to these different boxes, these different ballot boxes. And they describe the whole concept of a mule. A mule is essentially somebody who was hired to, in this case, either stuff the box or do something. But in most cases, it was stuffing the ballot boxes. This was something alleged during the aftermath of the 2020 election that there was ballot stuffing. 
and ballot harvesting. The idea that you go around and you collect a bunch of ballots from a bunch of people and drop them off for them, which is against the rules. You're not supposed to do that. In many cases, it's against the law in certain states. There's also laws against helping people fill out the ballots that got the lady in trouble. I believe that was Arizona. So now they see the security footage of people and they're showing how sketchy they're acting. They're showing people with backpacks of them looking around like they're suspicious. Ladies wearing gloves, latex gloves, and then discarding the glove after dropping the envelope, basically implying that she didn't want her fingerprints on the envelopes. Like there's all sorts of very admittedly sketchy behavior from all of these, quote, mules. And they they triangulated from people's cell phones to say that certain people were going to multiple ballot boxes in the same day within the same region, which is unusual. Because even if you were dropping off ballots for your family, there's no reason you would go to multiple ballot boxes. The only reason you would go to multiple ballot boxes is if you were working for the elections board or committee or the audit right? Or you're doing something shady. Like these are logical inferences based on the traced activity immediately. And I'll, I'll go down more, but just stop here immediately. Multiple online sources, mostly aligned with the Biden administration, called this out as nonsense. There's no, who cares? You can't trust the cell phone triangulation data. It's imperfect to which multiple people chime back. And they said, well, wait a minute. You used, not you, them, the media, but general media and general, you know, the government. You used cell phone triangulation data to track the people on January 6th, and you said it was acceptable. You said that that was court admissible there, but it's not court admissible here. That's a double standard, which silenced many of these sites. Because it's true. As a technologist, I can tell you directly, you know this, you can prove it yourself. Cell phone technology triangulation There are two levels, largely two levels. There's the rough radius type triangulation. We know it's somewhere in this general vicinity. Then there's precise triangulation where you can find somebody pretty dang close to where they're at. If you have an Android device and you access Google Maps the first time, it's going to prompt you for turning on things like Wi-Fi, turning on Bluetooth, Turning on all these, because what it does is it adds more layers to the triangulation. If you have your wireless on and you're driving around, you may not know this, but your wireless, your phone, the wireless card that's inside is contacting different hotspots and saying, should I connect here? Can I connect there? What's its protocol? What's its security? Is that available? Does that require a password? It's making these calls. Because it's making those calls, what then happens is Google Maps queries this information and says, given that it just found this hotspot over here, and given where that hotspot, given where that I found this, that means that hotspot has to be within X distance from that phone. That's how they're able to zero in then. So when you do the nav, it knows pretty much exactly where you are. If you still don't believe me, I challenge you to order a pizza from Domino's. And what you're going to see is that you can trace that driver and follow their car all the way to your house. And it's pretty darn exact within roughly a few seconds delta of where that person is. If you still don't believe me, I challenge you to order from Grubhub and see the same thing. If you still don't believe me, I challenge you to order an Uber and watch as you can tell where the driver is. Watch as you can drive 
and have the person navigate where you're going and follow exactly where they're going with near perfect precision as you look to the left and the right. You're, these are irrefutable. The triangulation logic is more advanced than it used to be. So the narrative that triangulation cannot be trusted is automatically debunked by the very tools that people are using in order to consume these daily things. We know this to be the case. So if you are a person, one of these mules, quote unquote, and you have your phone and you walk by some courthouse where there's a ballot box, every situation you can think of knows this person is near that courthouse within a few feet for that ballot box, and then they went to this other one down the road. We can tell that. We can tell how long it took you to get to the other box. We can tell the rate that you're walking. We can tell if there's traffic nearby. All of these are open data. The challenge, and the reason I'm focusing here, is that it's become so embedded in everyday lives, this technological convenience. People don't understand that that data then is made available to brokers. When the brokers purchase the data, it allows them to market products and services to you in exchange for the data. It's part of the reason why if you install the Best Buy app, as an example, could be Wally, Walmart, but I'm targeting Best Buy because they're one of the worst offenders or Home Depot. You can install those apps on your phone and they can tell you exactly where you are in the store. They can tell you how to navigate to the aisle that holds the product that you wanted. They can tell you how to navigate to the front desk to pick up the item that you pre-ordered. The reason that they're able to access such close triangulation is because all of the information that's driven to create that is sold. It's made available so that they can implement those technologies, quote unquote, as a convenience for you. And yes, it's a convenience for you, but you also have to understand the inverse, which is that it can be used to trace where you go and where you've been. I'll give you one last example, and then I'll move to the next part of this video. If you take a trip, a road trip, by default, Google Maps is going to remember everywhere you stop, everywhere you go. So if you never turn that setting off, because by default it's on, it's called location history, you can go into logging Google right now and you can see exactly where you've been at any point. They know down to the time where you were, how long you stayed at certain points and follow you all the way through because your phone is constantly tracking this data and it's sending it up to Google. Guess what? Google will readily make any of that available to anybody who wants to purchase it, and there are brokers that do this. So understand, I'm not tinfoiling. I'm saying this is how technology works. This is why that works. This is what that's doing. This is how this guy in 2000 Mules was able to pretty precisely trace how people were moving. So, yes, it is accurate that people could be moving from box to box, and you can trace them down to their footsteps, or in this case, bikes in most cases. So then they know from the data that these people are hitting multiple ballot boxes in an unusual situation because there's no reason that you would do that unless you're working for the election, you know, committees or organizers or audit firms. So they know this. Then they go and they look at security footage. When the people visit the boxes, they pull the security cam. And I said, you see them looking around sketchy, the lady with the gloves, here's where some more debunk came in. One of the sites said, well, yeah, of course she's wearing gloves. It might be cold, deep, deep. Not understanding she's wearing latex gloves. Latex gloves are the last thing you're going to be wearing to protect yourself from cold. So this site, it was obvious that they just blatantly put out anything 
in desperation to try to defray the narrative that was spinning that the only reason you would wear latex gloves when handling election envelopes is to avoid your fingerprint transferring over there because the latex glove is going to block your fingerprints from touching the envelope. And then she immediately discarded these gloves in a trash can that was right behind the box. They made a comment that I thought was nonsense, which was that when she walked up to it, she didn't look to see there was a trash can there, but somehow knew there was a trash can behind her. Peripheral vision is an amazing thing. So I didn't put too much credence into that. That was nothing. The fact that it's a latex glove, that's a bit sketchy because there's no reason to be wearing latex gloves while handling election envelopes, especially a bundle of election envelopes, unless you were trying to prevent your fingerprints from transferring over to it. Fingerprints, of course, can be traced back to you because of biometrics. You use your fingerprint when you apply for certain things. You use your fingerprint to log into your phone. Like There's all sorts of collection of your fingerprint data that can be traced back to you. So that would be the only logical reason you would wear this latex glove. So I saw that as somewhat sketchy. Don't know exactly why she was the only one doing it. The other ones didn't care. Is that because they didn't know, they didn't care? What was the reason that only she had these gloves? So now you're seeing all these weird behaviors coming from certain people and not others. There was another guy. He rode up. He had a backpack full of these. He's trying to stuff them in there. And what they were describing is that apparently when you for this, these mules, because they're allegedly paid for dropping these envelopes off on behalf of whoever hired them, that you would take a picture of the ballot envelope itself as evidence that you dropped it off. And what they described is that, well, he's stuffing them in the box and he's struggling to get them in there because there's so many and he doesn't understand you have to enter them in smaller chunks. But then he tries to take off, he turns back and it appears, and there's no way to prove this, that he forgot to take the photo. And so now he's taking the photo of the ballot box. The Why he's taking a photo of the ballot box is why it's sketchy. Because if you're a legit drop off your ballot, why would you take a photo of the ballot box? You already know where it is. You already know what it is because you knew to go there. What does the photo do for you? It's not evidence that you dropped your ballot off. If you wanted evidence you dropped your ballot off, you might take a picture of yourself holding the envelope as it's going in the ballot box. He didn't do that. He just took a picture of the box. That doesn't do anything for anybody. So that's a bit sketchy. It doesn't make sense why you would do this. No sense at all. There was another one where people are waiting in line to vote, presumably, and there was a ballot box nearby and somebody rides up and he's like struggling to stuff the ballots in there. And People are looking at him like he's weird. And is that one was really strange because it's like, okay, he's the only one of this whole crowd who is going straight to the box and stuffing a bunch of ballots in there. What's worse is that nobody calls him out on this and nobody reports it up to the election people to say, this looks kind of suspicious. Even though the dog is barking at him and people don't know what the heck's going on. So this whole, and, and then they do the forum, right? And they're talking to different people and they ask the, they straight ask the question, do you think the election was stolen, 2020 election? And there's one guy, and I forget his name, but he says, you know, I don't, I, I need to see evidence. I haven't seen anything that would prove to me that there was a thing. Other people are saying, you're right, there's no evidence, and that's because they were really good at hiding the evidence trail. However, we do know that there were these issues in different states. And I remember Larry Elder, he mostly stayed quiet, but he said, I think something happened. Bottom line, I think something happened. We don't know what happened, which is part of the problem. Another of the guys made the comment, 
Doesn't it bother anybody that we don't know? And why doesn't it bother certain people to try to find the truth? Why is there such a pushback on trying to solve it and answer the question? So now they take all this all this data that they've collected from this guy and from these, these uh, cameras and all this, and they collect it up, and they discover that Pennsylvania apparently has, with what they saw, the number of people, these mules, there was enough people there that if it's true that these were fraudulent ballots, quote-unquote, that it would be enough to have turned the election because of the number of electors that Pennsylvania would have had. Whereas they looked at other states, like Arizona, I think they looked at Arizona as one, and they didn't see enough there. I don't know if they looked at Texas, but I know Arizona was one and Pennsylvania was one. Those are the two ones that stood out to me. Pennsylvania is the one they said, if this one had, if it's true that there was enough here for the mules to have stuffed, quote, fraudulent ballots, this would have swayed the election in favor of Donald Trump because of the number of electors. So they take this, all this data, and they present it to this forum, and they say, we want to know your thoughts, and they're just showing them the whole thing. And I don't remember what everybody said. The only one that stood out to me was Larry Elder because he was the only one that was giving definitive answers of how he felt. Larry Elder basically said, quote, this is a smoking gun. And I don't understand how nobody would care about this. Why would nobody want to look at this? And then collectively they're saying, ideally somebody should look into it. And what would be the next step would be to track these people down because they're on camera. (laughs) And you can, I mean, the police can find people off security cameras. They do it all the time. Find these people, figure out what they know, inquire if somebody did pay them. And if they, and then the counter argument, my last counter argument from another site was that that doesn't make them fraudulent ballots. They could be valid ballots, but the person broke the law. In some states, if you do this, let's say we don't know that this person didn't help that person fill out improperly, which is against the law and would invalidate the ballot. So they have to talk to the people to understand what really happened. Why are you going stuffing these and actually try and actually ask the question. This forum's biggest complaint was it seemed like nobody was doing any investigation around this data that was openly available to everybody involved. Nobody stopped to ask, why would you have people going to multiple ballot boxes in the same day in the same region? Why would you see people trying to cram you know, ballots into the envelope, into the box? Why would you have people taking photos of the box? Like everything was around asking questions without making an outcome in their mind, but how come nobody's asking the same questions? That was the whole point around 2,000 mules. Social media, this spreads around, and people take it as this this is proof, this is evidence. It's not proof. My takeaway from it as a technologist myself and somebody that's done audit and security, my takeaway from it is I have the question, I share the question of why nobody else cares about what appears to be sketchy behavior at around that time. Why is nobody even looking into it to try to understand what they were doing? At worst, you want to try to figure out what the heck was going on and why that was even allowed to happen. Like if we look at the one that was, he's cramming in there right outside of the polling place, why was nobody watching the box to see if there was something tampering or anything else? that none of that was happening. These boxes have security cameras trained on the 24-7. Was it that nobody was looking at the camera footage? The camera footage is available because this guy was able to get it. So it was still there. 
So it wasn't discarded. Did anybody look at it? If somebody looked at it, what were their thoughts? The first person to look at this, whether it was the election personnel or law enforcement or election integrity, did anybody look at it, number one? And if they did, how come they didn't come to the same consensus that there's something wrong here? And the theory, which is floating around these sites, was that the reason that they didn't take any action and that they didn't see any concern goes to the other guy that said, it doesn't matter, the ballots are still valid, even if people did sketchy stuff with them, they're still valid ballots. To the point, if that person who's dropping off those ballots improperly helps somebody fill it out, it's an invalidated ballot, and they would have no way of knowing. The other flip on this is this whole situation, we don't necessarily know how many of these were as a result of the mail, the COVID and the mail-in ballots, because this would have been around the time that people weren't able to openly go out and go different things. So is it possible that these, whoever, were going around collecting these ballots as a result of the COVID and the lockdown to try to centralize and minimize spread? I'm not saying that they're doing it in good faith. I'm saying that did they use it as an opportunity to say, we'll collect up ballots because of COVID, and then if they were called out, They'd say, well, we got together and people were afraid. And so we collated the ballots and dropped them off for people. And the reason we took a photo of the box is because we have to track that they actually dropped them off and da 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 Like there's that too, that was never investigated. And so that's why I circle back that for me, it was more about how come nobody's asking these questions. Nobody's inquiring about this information and actually chasing it. Because if you look at the January 6th, which was described as an insurrection. It wasn't an insurrection. Police let those people in. Nobody's asking the question why police let them in, the Capitol Police. Nobody's asking that question. All people care about is what did Donald Trump do? Instead of the larger, so like with January 6th, some of the Republican side said, yes, we should investigate any and all of this mob, criminal, destruction, attack, everything that's happening across our nation. We need to look at all of it. And we need to include Portland because we had the Portland riots that was going on at that time. I think Chicago had some stuff going on. We need to look at all of this together because there could be some correlation because the theory was that the Proud Boys might be all joined at the hip with all this or that it could be Antifa related. So some people were saying all of these are too, they're too convenient. Let's look at them together and find out if there's some connection in addition to January 6th, and Pelosi immediately said, no, this is not, we're going after Trump, because that's all she cared about, because that's what social media was telling her to do. This, with the election, unfortunately, because of that smoke of January 6th, arguably created a distraction where nobody cared about what was going on the election side, because they assumed it was all just, there's nothing on the election, there's nothing here, because look, they did this insurrection, which wasn't, on January 6th, to try to take over. Meanwhile, you got Maxine Waters telling people out there in Portland to keep burning stuff down. Like there, It felt like there was just so much noise and social media was partly to blame for this that we lost common sense. Because common sense would have told us we were having riots all over the country. That was happening. And it did make sense to do a umbrella look at all the different riots, collect all the data that you know, and see if there's a correlation and if it's a targeted, because that's true domestic terrorism. If there, if it's true that there was a coordinated attack, that's domestic terrorism. If there was a coordinated attack 
from a physical perspective, these riots in January 6th and Chicago and all this, if that's true, is there a connection then to what was going on with this video footage and people going around in the ballot boxes? Is there a correlation? Could you connect the dots that the same group of people at the core were involved? I'll give you a little bit of history lesson. I'll wrap up. In the old days, I'm pretty sure this isn't true anymore, but in the old days of like New York and Chicago, what you'd have is all of these different things going on throughout the different cities, whether it was speakeasies or, you know, casino rule or whatever was going on, all these multiple different things. And then the police would stop some crime here or drugs, underground drugs, good one, guns, gun running. They would find all these little stovepipe things and then they would create this theory, this hypothesis that, you know, this mob boss up over here has got to be involved with this stuff. Got to be involved. Anybody that saw the movie New Jack City, perfect example. Perfect example because you had in New Jack City all these different places where they're cooking the drugs and cutting the drugs and then, you know, Nino puts other people in charge and then they go down, but they don't take Nino and Nino's just sitting high and he's the one that's kind of calling the shots and he's got his capos underneath him that are kind of pulling the strings and then they front it with a legit business, right? So that's always been the way that we've investigated crime is we try to put the pieces together to see if there's somebody at the top and that's who you take down, all the way to, you know, from Castro to, we just, I mean, we just did this down there in Mexico. I don't know where we went south, where we chose not to do that with 2020, the 2020 and arguably the early parts of 2021. We lost the vision of trying to solve the real root of the problem, which was never Donald Trump, by the way, because as they found later on January 6th, there were other people involved that had nothing to do with him that were creating more noise and more smoke. And by and large, the Trump people were just a bunch of essentially hicks that decided to go and have some fun and take selfies. But because of the photos that the media put out, it created a narrative of smoke bombs and broken windows and all that. And then fan footage, it's calm and they're walking around and the police are welcoming them in and all this garbage. Same as with the border, showing people you know, some family and they're running across the river like they're running from something, but then fan footage shows that, no, they were staged, they were told to do that. I, from my eyes of this 2,000 mules, I still don't know, and nobody knows, whether there was anything to the 2000 election, 2020 election, and whether there's anything to this video other than a lot of sketchy behavior that nobody asked the question about. It is that which bothers me personally is nobody asking the question and not just debunking it as FUD, but to really ask the question, why are these people acting this way? What logical reason would you have to go to multiple boxes with stacks of ballots in the same, in the same period, in the same region? Certain people that came from other states and they're going over here dropping off ballots. Nobody had ever asked the question why this is a thing because there were so many distractions arguably created by social media and the mainstream media who were all attacking Trump. We see this now with Ukraine. The vast majority of the footage is designed to emotionally influence people into supporting us going into war when that never was the right stance because ultimately Ukraine had was not part of NATO and so there was no obligation to do it. So the media created a narrative of 
but they need help. They need help, photos and all this. Nobody says that people should be left behind. At the same time, American people are suffering right now. A lot of them are harmed and suffering. Uh, I believe as Convention of States chimed in and said, what bothers you about Congress? And the most popular answer, I would argue, is that with the Uvalde shooting that happened down there, I believe it's Texas, the Uvalde shooting, it's thoughts and prayers. That's the, that's the narrative. Thoughts and prayers, they, they don't really want to solve why it happened. And that's a whole different topic for a different day, by the way. With Ukraine, they immediately send billions of dollars of aid over there. Americans can't get access to the aid they need because they're still hurting. We assume that everything's fine and we'll recover. And they leave people behind and they've cut off all the aid sources. But they immediately send billions of dollars overseas to a foreign country simply because social media and mainstream media have painted the narrative that that's what we should do, give money away to other places. Meanwhile, gas prices are sky high. Meanwhile, the price of food is sky high. Meanwhile, people can't get their baby formula. Now you start to see, hopefully at least, that the government, the current administration, doesn't really care about American citizens at all. They care about what's popular on the media and social media, and that's where they're going. That's why this whole 2,000 mules, the data they're collecting was ignored because the media told them to ignore it. The media told them there's nothing here. Don't worry about it. We need to go after Trump. We need to go out to help Ukraine. Who cares? Everything's recovering. We're all good. Masks off. Meanwhile, we're seeing spikes in COVID cases in the Northeast. And there's no chatter about that. We still have a fentanyl crisis. There's no chatter about that. Anyway, that's my topic. I don't, I don't put a position of legitimacy at 2020 election A or B because I don't think it matters at this point. I truly don't. I, I, think it's worth, I think it's worth looking at the data and simply asking the question. For me, it's always take an unbiased look at the data. Unbiased is the key. If we're going to ram forward on January 6th and just go that way, you're creating partisanship. You're saying all we care about is Trump. I would rather see we say, no, we need to solve all the riots that took place all over the country. We need to look at the states that started begging for more money when they allowed the riots to continue as the Portland mayor did. We need to open up and say, you allowed these riots to happen and then you begged more money from people. We should ask the question, why is it that we only paid American citizens roughly $2,500, but we, we keep sending billions overseas? We need to ask the question, why are we not making the over-the-counter openly available to mitigate COVID spread instead of forcing people to take a test negative before they give them access to it and then it has to be prescription? It's just an emergency prescription. Why can't you just OTC it and manage it as you do epinephrine? We should ask the question, what are your real motivations here? Because it feels heavily political instead of really solving these problems. And I'll talk about Uvalde as separate on a separate episode, maybe. But as a high level on that business, we have to ask the question, why are we inconsistent with how we enforce things? Why is it that people are forced to walk into one entrance to get into the airport and one exit to get back out, and we force everybody to go through a conveyor, but for whatever reason, that's unthinkable with our schools, even though we've seen this happen multiple times. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. I appreciate you, everybody, whether you're a subscriber or not, We'll be back on Wednesday with another episode. And again, I assure you, it'll be an intriguing topic, if nothing else. Then, as I mentioned, our guest cadence will continue. We'll turn our screener back on. 
and we'll start booking guests again. That'll take a while, so bear with it. Trust me, I got topics for days. Bear with it, but we will get back on the guest cadence at some point in the near future. Casualtalkradio.net. Check us out again on Wednesday for our next topic, and enjoy Memorial Day. Once again, we appreciate you listening to us, and we love your feedback if you give it to us on the site. Let us know. We read all of it, and we will do what we can to continue entertaining you with what we what we know and what we believe from our angle in a neutral fashion. 